You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, presenting interviews with famous, fascinating, influential personalities from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. It wasn't until I was in my 60s that I realized that the major problems and the major needs of children are ones that will have to be satisfied through political action. Child care expert turned political activist Dr. Benjamin Spock. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Perhaps no one has had the degree of influence over an entire generation of children that Dr. Benjamin Spock had. His book, Baby and Child Care, was published in 1946, just as many baby boomers were being born. His calm and reassuring tone found an audience among anxious new parents, and soon Dr. Spock became the go-to guy for child care advice. Millions of baby boomers were raised by parents who swore by Dr. Spock's book. But by the late 1960s, Dr. Spock became known for something other than child care. He became a political activist. He even ran for president in 1972. In the years since then, Dr. Spock had long resisted efforts to get him to publish his autobiography. But finally, his second wife, Mary Morgan, convinced him it was time, and she helped him write it. And I met the two of them after the book came out. So here now, from 1989, Dr. Benjamin Spock. I never would have, uh, if I were asking myself these questions, I never would have uh, answered them this way. Mary was relentless and ruthless at times and demanding to know why and what's the connection with this. I'd, I'd prefer myself to, in any such thing, to stay on the surface, uh, tell the amusing stories and let the grimmer stories go. When the uh, publishers would come to Ben and ask him for years, they'd been asking, will you do an autobiography? And then when I did this book, I realized why his mother would never allow him to write a book about himself. That's too (laughs) self-centered. You can't talk about yourself, but he could talk to me about them over a tape. That was all right. Who is the Benjamin Spock that comes through in this book that we haven't known before? Well, I think that uh, it goes considerably deeper into such things as uh, uh, the fact that I really haven't had intimate friends uh, that I'm in often in close touch with that I can get. I've got some friends left over from, or a few still left over from college days, but I can. Uh, it's enough for me to remember them in college days. I don't have to get in touch with them. <laughs> And or slap them on the back and say, "Do you remember?" I have. When I said I still got friends, I realized that up to a few years ago I had uh, quite a few, but that uh, some of my closest friends have died in the just in the past year, and uh, it sobered me up a little. Uh, I used to assume that uh, I'd go on living indefinitely. Now I know that the Grim Reaper is really closing in, (laughs) and it's not surprising at the age of 86. I think uh, when I was doing the book that Ben was very clear and and really easy to interview on his politics and on child care. He could talk and talk and talk endlessly. What was harder for him to relate to were more personal issues about his life, about intimacy, about his feelings. Those were very hard for him. But that's tough for anybody to talk about, exactly. isn't it? Exactly. 
but I thought more so for him in certain areas. Do we I think in general more so for men uh, than for women? Mm-hmm. Would we expect a, a a prominent Dr. Benjamin Spock to be more open about talking about his private life than a Bill Thompson? I don't know what you'd expect. <laughs> a Dr. Spock, it was Mary who said, we're going to... Uh, dish out uh, this and that and uh, the other, and uh, I went along because she was so determined. Now, uh, as you as you as you point out, most people will remember you mo- best for your book, which millions and millions of Americans were raised uh, by their parents uh, by by reading. There's a line in an old Dick Van Dyke episode where uh, uh, something's going on, and Laura says, "Oh, okay. that Doctor Spock knows everything that man." <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but also there's the political side of, of, of what you've done, the, the, the working for peace, the working for disarmament. Uh, is that going to be forgotten? It could have been. I mean, when I open a, an encyclopedia and look at it, it says Dr. Spock, known for baby and child care, and he writes uh, two or three paragraphs about child care, and the last sentence reads, and Dr. Spock ran for president in 1972. So if I looked at history writing, yes, I think his politics could be, okay. and, and the same way they've done a lot with Martin Luther King. When I went to a Martin Luther King Day in the South, I found that these children were being taught that he was a nice Sunday school teacher and that sort of thing. But his politics and his certainly his civil disobedience, I think uh, people in the government have tried to cover that up and why it was happening and why did Ben go from being a conservative Republican who voted the straight Republic ticket when he was 21 to a radical? How did that come about? Because I hear a lot of people on the street say, well, that Dr. Spock is just some kind of a nut. So we wanted to clear the record and say, <laughs> well, he is not this kind of a nut, and this is how I got to be this person. Well, you look rather balanced to me. <laughs> well, I fool people by always wearing a dark blue three-piece suit, and I always have a gold watch chain across my vest. My collars are high, as you notice, and uh, there's always a pin under them. I wouldn't feel that I could appear in public. I couldn't give a speech in uh, less formal uh, clothes, though I do unbend a little in California. But when I'm making a speech in the East, I always feel I must be for, look formal. Otherwise, people wouldn't believe me. Uh, they'd think I was, they'd think I was some kind of a nut. So I think I've uh, confused my enemies somewhat by presenting this dignified exterior while I was uh, really rabble rousing to a degree. I don't want to uh, l- laugh at my serious intentions. Uh, Some people think that I gave up my interest in children to get into politics. Uh, I would put it entirely differently. I would say it wasn't until I was in my 60s that I realized that the major problems and the major needs of children are ones that uh, will have to be satisfied through political action. And I got into, uh, I started out by uh, joining the National Committee for a Sane Nuclear Policy in 62, they'd asked me twice in the 1950s to join, and I quickly said, no, no, I don't know anything about radiation, and furthermore, I reassure parents I don't scare them. But they were very smart. Uh, they went at me again in 1962, and this time they got to my conscience, and I realized, that's right, if we go on testing 
to our heart's content if all countries who are developing nuclear weapons go on testing. Uh, more and more children will die of cancer and leukemia around the world or be born with mental and physical defects. So I saw this as an expansion of my uh, idea of uh, what child care is uh, rather than a turning, a, a turning of my back on children. It's kind of inappropriate <clears throat> to talk about children's behavior if the children aren't alive to teach how to behave. Exactly. After this short break, Dr. Spock tells how even he needed advice on how to deal with his stepdaughter. Now back to my 1989 conversation with Dr. Benjamin Spock. Parenthetically, as we sit here and tape this this morning, I just heard on the news a few minutes ago that there is every indication now that the Berlin Wall will actually be torn down. Uh, What do you think about that? Uh, I think that that's hard to imagine, uh, this this drastic a change, and it's only one of a number of uh, drastic changes. I don't think any of us have quite caught on yet uh, to how fast the, and how thoroughly the world is changing. This will go down in history. 1989 will go down in history as one of the great turning points in, in history. Does it look like the world is becoming safer I don't think so, not in the United States anyway. My my picture is that uh, there's more and more tension in the United States. There's more and more competitiveness in the United States and that this is eroding the, uh, the, the uh, very structure of the society and making people uh, uh, more distressed, more dismayed and getting more off the track. I think that it's excessively materialistic uh, society and it's an excessively violent society and uh, it doesn't have enough spiritual underpinnings to satisfy people. I think we tend to be proud of the fact that we're practical in the United States, but uh, the fact is human beings have to be... The fact is that human beings have to have a spiritual uh, convictions, beliefs of one kind or another... In childhood, uh, you don't need them so much because uh, you all you have to do is believe in your parents if your parents are around. And if, by the time you're an adult with a uh, job of your own and a spouse of your own and children of your own, you're in a rut and uh, <laughs> you've got to get up every morning. This uh, Your life directs you. But I think during the uh, late adolescent period and uh, the early adult uh, period, uh, some individuals rather desperately, as they're moving from the child identity to an adult identity, desperately need something strong to believe in. This, my idea is that this rather tragic quadrupling of uh, teenage suicide, that the largest factor here is... Uh, that they're desperate for something to hang on to. Mary, what was the biggest challenge for you? I was taping Ben, so when I would uh, do the transcripts, it was all in the spoken word, and the written word is entirely different. You have to take 
well, uh, 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 you know, and I, there, there's quite a bit of editing. And then we went back to talk about uh, Ginger, my daughter and, and Ben's stepdaughter. And that was quite an emotional time because that had to do with my child and, and how she was going to be portrayed in this book and whether she was going to like it or not. Or whether it, and mostly she didn't like it when we said, well, remember when you were 11 years old and you didn't like Ben at all? Because her memory of it is quite different. She had his number. She knew how to drive him up the wall. One of the interesting aspects of this question is that uh, she doesn't remember making me miserable and turning her nose up and always turning her face away and never answering my questions and never looking at me if she could help it. Uh, she says, well, maybe for a few weeks, something like that. Actually... She drove Mary and me to, to a consultant on step relationships about two years after Mary and I were married. Uh, the, the consultant uh, comforted me a great deal by saying, you were living in a fool's paradise if you thought you could be accepted by a stepchild within uh, two years' time. Before that, I thought it was that I was very deficient in the qualities that would make for a good parent. It was good to be told this is the regular thing. Now that I must use be. that same principle in baby and child care. A, a good deal of its value is in warning parents ahead of time. Appetite goes way down at one year of age, and they turn against the vegetables that they ate willingly before. That must have been very embarrassing to you in a kind of a private way that here you are the, the America's expert on child care and you can't get along with your stepdaughter. That's right. It was terrible. It was very, uh, I was very discouraged too because I thought here I'd married this great, wonderful child expert. He was going to be a fabulous stepfather for my kid. Not at all. Dr. Benjamin Spock died in 1998. He was 94 years old. And you can find easy Amazon links to Dr. Spock's books at our website, HeardEverything.com. Oh, and while you're at HeardEverything.com, be sure and listen to my interview with Captain Kangaroo, Bob Keeshan. I really have more fun talking to the adults, yesterday's children, now grown up, and they're able to say things to me that are very meaningful, like, you know, you were always a good friend, you started the day out right for me, you made me feel good about myself. And of course, we post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find us on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, you've been hearing his name in the news a lot lately, but when I talked to Andrew Cuomo back in 2003, it was about politics generally and how personal attacks have become a part of American politics. My 2003 interview with Andrew Cuomo. One side attacks the other. You have to respond. You have to counter with a worse attack. It happens to be correct tactically in a campaign. I think it stops when the American people demand that it stops. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Bill Thompson.